What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody and welcome to episode two five three of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host Brad Roland. It is deep into the night here on Monday. It will be Tuesday by the time we are done recording. And joining me to celebrate a game one victory over the Dodgers is Scott Coleman. Hello, mm-hmm. Scott. That was something. I uh, I think I speak for everyone when I feel like I aged at least five, maybe ten years during the last three or four hours watching that. Incredibly stressful, uh, fantastic baseball game. Even if you were not a Braves fan, that was a phenomenal baseball game to kick off, which should be a really fun, uh, even series in the NLCS. And and thank goodness the Braves broke through late because that was, uh, it, it kind of felt like for the first time in however many years, the, the Braves finally broke through a little bit. And it's just one game, right? But uh, man, it felt good to have that ninth inning and to get at least one win under your belt, especially when you faced uh, somebody as good as Walker Bueller. Yeah, we discussed this on the last podcast, but we felt like game one especially was going to be big in this series, and nothing's done yet, but they went out and got game one. They basically flipped this from a situation where the models and the markets will probably have the Braves as still like a coin flip right now, but that's that's a far cry from where they were before this game where most of them projected the Dodgers with like 70% odds to win the series so that's a big swing you know 35 percent swing or so from win, win to loss is huge in terms of win probability of the series um the drama was great as you referenced there uh, unless you were a Dodgers fan you probably enjoyed this one um even if you're a neutral observer which I'm sure we have none of listening to this podcast but alas here we are that was a fun one and we will dive in as we always do here uh, not not a ton to get to before we start actually diving through the game itself the rosters there were only a couple of minor things one of which we'll mention on the Dodgers side in a second but the Braves kept the same roster from the NLDS no surprises whatsoever and uh yeah not, not a lot of news so we'll dive we'll dive in to what transpired here and we'll go sort of blow by blow as we often do on this podcast um first things first the Braves led for a good while in this game uh and that was because Freddie Freeman hit the like the fifth pitch of the day something like that out of the ballpark um a 111 mile an hour, uh, mile an hour exit velocity 429 feet an absolute moonshot from Freddie and uh setting the tone very right as, as your MVP front runner to uh, take the lead in the series it was a great way to start right you couldn't ask for you wanted to get an early lead kind of have everyone take a deep breath I'm sure the guys were really fired up and and uh, for Freddie, to, as you said, it was absolutely launched, a ball down in the zone right in Freddie's wheelhouse, and he crushed it uh, in a gigantic ballpark. We'll talk about some of the uh, flyouts that were deep into the park tonight, but a huge, uh, I mean, that ball was destroyed in 430 feet. So it was great to get an early lead, um, especially against Bueller, who was who was really pretty good, a little wild. And of course, uh, anytime you can get an early lead in the game, just for everyone to take a breath and feel good about yourselves is always a, uh, a benefit. 
yeah, later on we'll we'll discuss part of the same interview that Brian Snicker gave. But uh, later in the game, he was asked first about Freddie's home run. He kind of he kind of made, made a noise, like everyone knew how 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 well that ball was hit. That was that was a fun one to see. Oh. It was like, oh, hello, Freddie. Uh, no, no, uh, no, no hold up this time around. Like Freddie's had some slow starts and some series in the playoffs. Not today. Uh, he he announced his presence with authority right off the top, and uh, that was uh, unfortunately the only damage they did for quite a while, but it was enough to sort of hang tight. Uh, Max Free, who we will shout out throughout this podcast, was very good overall in terms of the results. The first inning was a bit of a marathon. He threw 28 pitches in the first inning, did, did, did start, out, start out with back-to-back strikeouts, gave up a single to Justin Turner, who I know you love, Scott, and, uh, and then a walk to Max Muncy before getting out of it. Um, yeah. We could talk about, talk about Free broadly throughout, but um, I thought he... Looked good and crisp for the most part, just kind of ran in some trouble, and it was a good reminder that the Dodgers just overall are patient and really good at the plate. Like, that's even more of a credit to the Braves pitching staff for holding them to one run in this game. But Freed has really had some of his better stuff, not like incredible by his standards, but I think you saw he had much better stuff in this game than he, than he did against the Marlins, and still the Dodgers were able to sort of test him and make him make real pitches to gather stuff. This is exactly who the Dodgers are, right? They they battle very rarely. I, I think there was only one inning where they uh, required less than 10 or 12 pitches to get him out. They battled. They don't swing at junk. Freed was really crisp early on. He was locating the fastball, did a really nice job. As you said, I think the only real concern at that time was the 28 pitches. Uh, obviously, we didn't know how innings 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 were going to go. But anytime, you know, if you presume his max is going to be 100 100 pitches and you throw 28 in the first knowing that they have a a very legitimate lineup one through nine that can make you work and and punish you uh it was not ideal I, I, obviously he was good he didn't give up any runs uh max muncie was the only one who drew a walk but uh to strike out three guys especially with two guys on base and two outs uh, was encouraging yeah freed had it going uh took him you know, I was guilty of this as well. We were monitoring his his pitch count throughout. Um, at the same time, Walker Buehler was throwing a lot of pitches, um, so that was wasn't wasn't as if Free was the only one having to labor to get through stuff. But uh, these these were, these were two of the better young pitchers in baseball uh, going at it in this game. Uh, Free got the best of it, I thought overall. But when he when everybody left, it was still knotted up. So uh, he pitched very well, did his job. We'll come back to him in a second, of course. In the second inning. It was a little bit of a, a danger thing, and as we record this, it's 11.47 p.m. Eastern Time. This is sort of a live reaction podcast, so we've not heard definitive word just yet. If we, if we get it, I'll break in, but obviously Adam Duvall gets hurt in the second inning on a swing. Um, it was very clear right away in terms of his reaction that he was injured, and he came out right away. Um, you know, credit to Christian Pache for coming into the game and actually getting a walk, but um yeah, I mean, what was your reaction when you saw Duvall be removed from the game? Because, yes, they have Pache to go to. Pache's a really talented guy, but it's very obvious, and I made this joke in, in print on Twitter, but it would have been cool if the Braves had like gotten Pache ready to play at some point in the, in the last mm-hmm. six weeks for this for this kind of thing. Obviously, you can't foresee this, but um, there's a little bit of danger. I know Duvall's not been incredible the last couple of weeks, but still a guy who was a big, a big part of your plans in the series. At this moment in time, um, it didn't look like he was going to be uh, – ready to go for tomorrow, let's, let's just say. So uh, what, what was your reaction when he left the game? 
Well, it's, it's never good, right? Whenever you lose a guy, I think the one real takeaway is, and Brian Snicker just said on post game that it, it does not look good was, I believe the exact quote, it does not look good. That was also, um, the, that was also the quote from, from the in-game interview. Uh, Snick yeah. kind of just said it was oblique and uh, it wasn't good. And like, he got it pretty good or whatever, whatever snitism that he used there. Hmm. But uh, it definitely did not seem as though they were very confident in him being like a quick bounce back candidate. Yeah. And if it's, Obviously, if it's a severe, I, I would assume it's an oblique issue. Duvall's been around for many years. He's probably done it before, and he immediately knew it was it was not good. Um, of course, the real downside looking ahead is, is if you remove him from the roster for this round, you do lose him in the event the Braves advance to the World Series. Then yep. you are without Duvall as well. And, so, and that is I, the rule. Just just for, just for everybody knows, that, that's not like a choice. Like That's the rule. If you, if you, if you replace a guy in this round— He's only out for the next round, but in this case, the next round is the World Series, so that, that means he's out for the season. Yeah, which is really unfortunate because Duvall, you said he has struggled a little bit in recent weeks, but he was such a key cog in the middle of this lineup for the two months of the regular season, and, and we know how good the defense is, just a good, consistent, steady player out there. So I would assume they will see, give him a night to sleep on it, get some treatment. I guess you can hold out a little bit of hope that it might not be as bad, and even if you don't think he's going to be able to play this week he might be able to play in the world series should they advance but ultimately they they already have a short bench to begin with it's not like they have six other guys who they can just throw out there before and he just sits the bench on the chance that he's ready to go in another couple days yeah you you could play short you know the the roster is expanded to 28 um so it's not like you couldn't pull it off if you really really thought he'd be back next week for instance but that's kind of a weird thing like i can't you know it's not common for an oblique to be bad enough to rule you out this week and then good enough to come back next week. It's either like a tweak and he's out for a couple of days or he's probably out like three weeks and you obviously you can't, um, you can't last with that. So we'll talk about the fallout of that later on in the pod as we look ahead to the rest of the series. But uh, in the, in the moment, they went to Pache. That was the move, uh, the, the obvious move. He's the extra outfielder on the roster right now. Um, they stuck Pache in center field, move, move Marquecas to left, and Acuna to right field, which I liked to see. Um, that's been a talking point for I know a lot of Braves fans. Whenever Pache comes in, it's like, why isn't he playing center? And this time, um, I like this because it was so early in the game, second inning, that you want to just have your best defensive alignment you could put out there. So I was in favor of that. Did you have a reaction to uh, A, going to Pache? Because I think that, that was kind of a no-brainer, but also putting him in center field. It makes sense, right? Because it's, it's pretty clear at this point that Pache's real strength is his glove. His defense is so, so good. And after seeing how gigantic that outfield is, and I know that it's a big park because the ball really carries in Arlington, but that is a huge park. His best position is center field. He's an even better defensive center fielder than uh, Ronnie Ronnie is. So, yes, I was glad to see him in center. It makes sense, especially with Marcakis in the other corner. You can shade him over a step or two to kind of help him in, in the outfield if a ball gets hit into the gap. So uh, pleasantly surprised again. Um, <laughs> it was some interesting handling of him offensively, though, to his credit for him to come into a, a NLCS playoff game ice cold off the bench and take down one, two, really down yeah, one, two, yeah. by the way. And take some really good, I, I mean, obviously he took three pitches. I don't even think he realized he had walked because he of the circumstances. Um, fouled a couple of tough pitches off. So, um, again, I mean, step right up, kid. Assuming Duvall is, is the injury is as bad as what it sounds like to be, you know, what's Christian, 21 years old. Uh, the Andrew Jones comparison is going to be made. I don't think anyone expects him to start hitting bombs in, his, you know, in, in a playoff series like this. But he will be, I would assume, 
it will be Pache. I can't imagine it's anybody else. Uh, maybe we can dig <laughs> we, into that. We will talk more. about that later on. Uh, yeah. that's, that's a tease in the business, folks. But we'll we'll come back to that later. But yes, I uh, that's where I would lean as well. Um, in the bottom half um, of the inning, uh, there was a little bit of drama again. A, a, nice, a nice play by Ozzy, who was great defensively again in this game. Uh, he gets the first out with a diving play. They did allow um, Free did allow a single and then another walk to bring up Mookie Betts, which is not what you want to do. Walk the guy ahead of Mookie Betts, who's one of the best players in the league. But then he flew out and Free avoided the damage there. Um, from there, there wasn't a whole lot that happened in the next couple of innings. Um, there was some fireworks for the Braves in the fourth when Dansby had a one, a one out walk, then he stole second base. Pache walked again at his, his second at bat. So two guys on and one out from Arcakis, who struck out in pretty hideous fashion on a middle, middle fastball that I couldn't believe he didn't swing at. Uh, he had a couple rough at bats in this game. We'll come back to that, of course. Um, but then Riley, uh, barely misses. I thought on what would have been a monster, uh, monster shot potentially, which we saw, saw, saw sort of a, uh, a redux of that later on when he actually caught, when he, when he actually caught one, uh, squarely, Riley hits the ball a long way, but, uh, he was at least, at least a threat in the fourth. I mean, I was frustrated at least mildly by that inning just because of how bad it looked for Marquecas, especially, but I mean, I don't know, against Bueller, you can't get too upset, I, I suppose. Yeah. I, you know, it's frustrating whenever you, you keep having guys on base and you knew, that at some point, whether it was one run or 10 runs, the Dodgers were going to start scoring. And the pitching staff did a phenomenal job tonight. But in that fourth inning, you kind of kept saying to yourself, at some point, this feels like it's going to come back to bite you. And thankfully, it did not. And they were able to keep them at one run for, for the majority of the game, or, well, I guess for all of the game. Um, but yeah, at some point, it's it's really been the Braves' one Achilles heel that we've talked about all season long. They have not been great with runners in scoring position for as good as the offense and the lineup has been that has been a little bit of a weak point so thankfully again it didn't come back to bite them but uh it was not a enjoyable inning to say the least (laughs) (laughs) and and there were a couple of those along the way that we uh, will put a pin in um on the bright side freed settled in very nicely He, he got seven straight outs um until the fifth so the Braves go go down quietly in, in the top half, and then a leadoff home run by uh, Enrique Enrique Hernandez to tie the game at one one. And I actually may know this before we before the game even start. This is the first playoff start for Hernandez. Um, he was not a guy that we talked about at all in the preview because he had not really played. He he came off the bench a couple times in the previous games, but he, he had not started. So naturally, he starts in this game as a right-handed uh, hitter against lefty and Freed. And Homer is in his second plate appearance. Um, also, that was the first run allowed by the Braves in 23 innings, which was tied for the second longest streak in playoff history. So, as you no- noted a second ago, you can't expect to just never allow any runs. We kind of yeah. knew that one wasn't going to be enough in this game. I know I tweeted that at one point. I think you might have as well. I know a lot of people did. Um, it's the Dodgers. You, you just can't expect to win one nothing in this series. And uh, that was kind of the moment where I was like, you know what? Free made a mistake for sure. But, yep. you know. It's not really a, it's not, it's not a huge black eye, but suddenly it's a new game again. Well, and to Freed's credit, he settled in. It, it didn't shake him. It was a mistake. It was 0-2, and it was a uh, – I thought it looked like a slider, but I, maybe it was more of a curve that just didn't break. And middle-middle and Kike Hernandez is a solid big league hitter, especially against lefties. I will say, maybe the uh, we can laugh about it now. Uh-oh. The Fox broadcast had maybe the greatest – playoff jinx i can recall because it was incredible losing <laughs> and in literally like three seconds before hernandez hits the homer they post the uh the graphic about how they haven't given up a run in in forever and i mean truly like three seconds later there's a ball launched 400 feet to left so it was shout out to the uh producer in the fox truck who 
could not have timed that one better. Yeah, that'll happen sometimes, but that was very funny. It made the meme rounds and all that stuff. I uh, I don't blame them because that was uh, just one of those times when uh, the when the, when the nugget of information does not go over particularly well. Um, okay, we'll go to the sixth now. Uh, they they left Walker Bueller in. In fact, this is a spot where we both noted this. This is an ending that we made note of for sure. Uh, they leave Bueller in, which was a gift in my view by the Dodgers. And we talked about Dave Mar- Dave Roberts on the last podcast. Not his strength necessarily in terms of managing things. Um, he leaves him in, gives up a single to Darno, and honestly should have been a double. It was roped by Darno, but it was a nice play by Betts, and Darno is not terribly fast, so he ends up still on first base. Then Ozzy singles to left to chase Bueller. It's it's first and second, no outs. Again, probably should have been first and third, but alas. Um, and they go out and get uh, Bueller finally in that spot. But the Dodgers are so loaded, as we've talked about, that they go to Gratterall, who throws 102, um, <laughs> essentially. Um, the one frustrating thing, and we'll stop here, was the at-bat by, by Dansby Swanson. And I, I almost didn't even say at-bat because it was, it was one pitch. He comes in, swings at the first pitch against the new reliever, and pops it up. And, uh, you know, I don't want to highlight too too much there because he was not the only one that struggled at times in this game but that was uh that was one that will get you frustrated is the is what happened there because from there it's Pache strike out and Marquecas test back to the mound and a threat that was looking fantastic against the Dodgers bullpen was uh suddenly gone well it kind of goes back to what we saw a couple innings prior right at some point you knew the Braves had to capitalize if they were going to win this game and it was frustrating I think the Dansby one especially you know if he if it's a fastball right down the middle of the plate and I know there's a lot of movement and it's easy for us to say, right. But it's hundred miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, it, I don't even know if it was a strike. It was up and, and out maybe off on the corner of the plate, but not really. So, yeah, I mean, you would like to think he would, you just don't know if a reliever is feeling good or not. And I understand why you might want to, sometimes the best pitch you see is the first one. And maybe it did look like a fastball right down the, right down the pipe for Dansby. But, um, yeah, that was, that was bad. At the least you would hope that he might be able to just shoot a soft little grounder somewhere and advance the runners, but it was frustrating. And, and of course, then the rest of the inning was not productive. No, uh, that is for sure. Uh, you know, on the bright side, Freed stays in, which was, you know, I, th- I thought it was fine. I-, I mentioned that even before the inning started, I-, I was totally fine with him staying in. There were people that wanted him to come after five and I get that too. His pitch count was lower than Bueller's though. And I think he was a little bit uh, looking better, but he was great. In that sixth inning, he strikes out Muncie and Smith and then throws an absolutely ridiculous slider that I wanted to make note of to Bellinger yeah. for, for strike two and then gets Bellinger to pop out. Um, and the reason I wanted to keep him in there, at least to try on a short leash, is that they were facing two lefties. You know, Muncie and Bellinger are guys that you much rather have a lefty on a lefty against. They had Matzik warming up, which is a good idea by Snit to just have somebody ready to go there. But Freed, you know, still settles in and was, just, and was absolutely filthy to end yeah. his start. Well, and that's, I mean, that's big boy pitching right there, right? Oh, yeah. For him to be at uh, almost 50 pitches through two innings, for him to really settle in like that. And again, this Dodgers lineup is ridiculous one time through, but at that point he was through the order the third time. Um, just disgusting stuff. As you said, it was just a nasty strike to Cody Bellinger, who is, you know, probably one of the five or so best players on the planet. So, <laughs> I mean, Fre- Freed's, cur- Freed's curveball, we've all talked about, I mean, Freed, might have the best curveball in the league. It's it's that ridiculous when it's going, but that was a slider. And you know, I personally don't think of Freed as like a slider guy. I mean, he has he has one obviously, but yeah. that was a pitch that I just was not expecting, and he made Bellinger look silly, which you don't really see. I know it's lefty on lefty. I get all that, but man, like I'm used to seeing Freed put guys away with that you know unbelievable curveball when he has it going, and he had it going for the most part tonight. But the slider there was just one that I had to uh, talk about. 
Well, and it's not fair to Max, but I mean, he knew that he had to be close to perfect. And and really, it's not just him. All the Brave starters have to be close to perfect if they're going to win this series. We know how good the the Dodgers lineup is. Um, you know, for him to also bounce back after a not great start against the Marlins, it was not a horrible start by any means, but he was a little shaky. And of course, he had the ankle injury towards the end of the season. And um, he just he honestly hasn't pitched a ton over the last calendar month. And for him to have the night he did tonight, it was big boy pitching, just a phenomenal job against a, a really good deep lineup. And, you know, now he's going to be counted on whether it be in game four or, ga- or rather uh, game five or uh, if they're going to bring him back on regular rest. Now he, he has to do it again, presumably. So uh, just an awesome job by Max. Yeah. Final line, six innings, four hits, two walks, one earned run and nine strikeouts. You, you know, you just can't ask for better. I know. Obviously, you know, he could have thrown a shutout inning, you know, six, six, six shutout innings. I tweeted that on uh, when, he, when he came out, like, you can't ask for more. And somebody was like, well, you could have given up zero runs. I'm like, okay, uh, I, I understand what you're saying. But re- realistically, against this offense, to get six innings of one run ball out of Freed was huge. And, you know, even Snit said after the game that he was sort of um, reticent, not, not, not reticent, but like, he thought that at one point he was he'd be happy to get four out of Freed tonight with the way it was going mm-hmm. early on. He mentioned that in his post game. So to get six and save the bullpen again, we talked about it a lot in a preview podcast. But seven straight days. I know this is a deep, talented bullpen, but anytime you get six innings out of your starter in this in this series is huge. And doing yeah. that in this spot was uh, obviously massive. So shout out to Max Freed, who's who, by the way still undefeated this year. Still, is he really? Yep. Wow. I know I mentioned it like I wasn't 100% sure, so I went and looked it up after we talked last. And uh, yeah, Max Freed is still unbeaten this season mm-hmm. as a starter. So, wow. Um, all right, the seventh inning, the one thing I wanted to make sure we talked about was the uh, the Ronald Acuna smashed uh, line drive to right center field that was caught by Mookie Betts. Uh, Mookie mm-hmm. Betts is great, by the way, but that was a 760 expected batting average, a 360-foot um, gapper to right center. Um that was one I wasn't as upset about. There was there were a couple more that we referenced already about like just the ballpark being huge. That was one that felt like a ballpark shot, but if you look at Statcast, it kind of wasn't. It would have been gone some places. It would have been a double other places, but um, that was a, a ball that everyone was frustrated by not being at least a double, if not a home run. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think even Dustin May thought it was out. I yeah, mean, he, we all did. he jumped. He <laughs> thought it was crushed. Right? Yeah, I was like, I tweeted. I mean, my. I hate this ballpark. And again, I know it's not. I mean, this is different. They're not pitching in the marine layer where everything dies. The ball notoriously used to fly at the Astros old park or the uh, Rangers old park where you would just hit the ball in the air and watch it fly. It was kind of like Coors Field South. Right. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it was it was unfortunate. The Braves did have a couple of well hit balls tonight. So did the Dodgers. But of course, we remember the Braves ones a little bit better. But um, again, hit the ball hard. It eventually will find a gap. It'll find a hole. And, uh, yeah, at that point it was like, man, what do they have to do? Right. They've gotten right. close a couple of times now. They've left a whole bunch of runners on base. Are they ever going to get this done? And, uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was uh, frustrating to say the least. I, uh, yeah. In the bottom half of the seventh, Chris Martin comes in, gets a one, two, three inning. It's funny now in retrospect to say this out loud. I thought Martin was kind of bad. It was a one, two, three inning, but he was not his best self. He yeah. missed a, he missed a lot in that inning. Uh, he, he didn't get beat by. It. I, I know I saw um, Stephen uh, at B Outliers on, on Twitter tw- tweeting his uh, sort of uh, plot from his pitches. He was missing over the plate too. Like that was not vintage Chris Martin in that spot, which is not necessarily worrisome because he's been good all year. But 
a little, a little bit of good fortune there. He didn't get mashed or anything, but uh, it's one of those nuanced things that you only get if you're watching closely. I thought he was just not incredible there, but uh, yeah. a nice break to get uh, to get out of that thing. And, and by the way, not even a threat. Like it was still one, two, three. But I thought any of those, you know, four or five pitches that he missed over the plate could have been a home run to be down two one. So uh, a nice little. Uh, I, I don't know. I was kind of breathing short in that. Yeah. Inning. <laughs> and I think it's just you know to his credit, we know how good he is. Right. I mean, there's some nights where the fastball is just perfectly dotted on the inner half. And then the slider just disappears. Um, he wasn't that tonight. Hopefully you know, we'll see if he's available tomorrow or if they will play it a little more cautiously with him and, and then bring him back for game three. But uh, yeah, you hope that he, this is the worst that he looks. And again, it was a one, two, three inning, as you said, but it was not Chris Martin in all caps tonight. Yeah. Um, okay, Scott, we are going to get into uh, our brand here in the eighth inning with some process stuff, but first we have to take a break because we have to pay the bills. And I feel like that's the best possible place to tease. Like people were asking us for, uh, to still do our, our whole breakdown on the eighth inning and guess what folks, we will absolutely do it. So hold on tight and we'll be right back. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Scott. It's easier to do this now after a win. Uh, but the eighth inning was the was the tactical analysis filled inning, and that's what we're kind of known for in some circles. And it was kind of funny. I, I got at least two tweets after the game saying, "Guys, you still have to talk about the eighth inning, right?" I'm like, "Yeah, we're, we're, gonna, <laughs> we're gonna do it. I promise." So uh, let's do it now. I'll set the stage a little bit here. Uh, <laughs> Ozuna doubles to left center. That was nice to lead things off against Dustin May, who stayed in for multiple innings after looking really good in the first inning. He did not look so good in the second inning. Um, Darno grounds out frustratingly to the left side, so Ozuna gets stalled at second base. Then they strike. Uh, sorry, Ozzy strikes out on ball four, so even more frustrating there because he would have been on base. Um, they intentionally walk Dansby, which is a good move by Dave Roberts, I will say. So we'll stop there. It's first and second. There are two outs. In a game that is tied, the Braves are not losing, which is important to point out here. They're not losing this game, so it's not like an utter desperation situation. And um, I will say this. this is the, only, the only huge issue I had the entire inning was this one. Snicker decides to pinch hit Pablo Sandoval for Christian Pache. Now, yes, Pablo Sandoval is probably a better hitter, better hitter than Christian Pache right now. We don't know that, to be sure. <laughs> That's the thing. We don't know that. But I, I, do, I yeah. do think that Sandoval is probably a better hitter than Pache. But context is important here. Uh, the Braves are already down Duvall. Duvall is gone. Um, and as such, they don't really have a lot of depth in the outfield. And it was kind of foreseeable that um, if there was a walk or something like that to Sandoval, behind him is Marquecas. And uh, all you have to do if you're the Dodgers is go to a lefty there. So we'll get into that in a second, but we'll stop. What did you make of that? Because that was the one that I really circled. Obviously, the stuff that happened later on got more attention, particularly Marquecas for Culberson and all that. But my first and biggest issue was the decision to hit, to hit for Pache. Even if I sort of understand it, that you want a better hitter, I just think the situation dictated that if you, yep. for instance, if what happened there happens and you're in a tie game, suddenly you're playing 
way down on defense in a situation where I wouldn't, I don't, I just don't love that. Yeah, I, I was really surprised. Now, I think the reason I was more surprised is because Adam Duvall had already gotten hurt, right? right? If, if there was a scenario where Pache was in there for some reason, and I guess it'd be a completely hypothetical, and they did it, I would get it, right? Yep. Duvall's a veteran. He's been to the World Series many times. He's been in the playoffs a million times. You're right, against a really good righty, I think Sandoval right now is probably a little bit better. Uh, so and, as you and, said, and, he, and I'm you sure know, that they think, I mean, obviously we've been litigating the whole Pache thing for a while now, but they don't, they don't have a ton of confidence in his bat right now. That is very yep. obvious by the way they're handling him overall. Yep. It is. And I think it will be very interesting to see how this, this breaks moving forward, but at least for tonight, you know, Sandoval, it, it was a big decision by Snicker. It was honestly not one I was anticipating. I don't think again, because you don't have Duvall and, you know, Sandoval gets hit by the pitch. Who knows what would have transpired? But it is clear, I, I thought also, that for a guy who has had all of three at-bats with the Braves and was signed, what, three weeks ago after being released by the Giants, that they do trust him in a, I mean, truly the biggest postseason spot for the Braves in 20 years, maybe. And, and Pablo Sandoval came up, was pinched uh, as the pinch hitter. So I mean, that was, that uh, was the biggest yeah. inning for sure. And eventually... Eventually, the highest leverage spot of the entire game was Charlie Culberson, and we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But yeah, the, again, like I will say this now: we 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 have killed Snit plenty on this on this podcast for process things. I don't think anything he did individually in that inning was terribly egregious. My my only real issue was the start of the chain, which was this, um, and even then, we both just said like you can argue Sandoval is a better option in that spot. So if you want to be aggressive, and he clearly was aggressive in that spot, which I think I generally favor aggressiveness. You know, it wasn't egregious in my mind. I would not have done it. Um, would you have hit Sandoval there if it was you? Just to, just to be clear on the record here, would you would you have hit Sandoval for Pache? Because I would not have. I don't I don't think so. No, I was I was surprised in the moment. I was honestly so surprised I didn't even really have time to like think about, think it. about it beforehand. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, hmm, maybe we should you know bring someone in here. Um, no, I, I mean, honestly, I think I would have left Pache out there because given the situation and then the defensive fallout because of it, I think was really just the biggest thing for me. Yeah. I at least get, again, I, I at least get it. This is not a situation where I was utterly baffled by the decision, which has happened before with this particular manager, but it did not, um, it didn't drive me absolutely crazy. It was just the one thing that I definitely would not have done. Okay. So from there, Sandoval gets hit by the pitch to load the bases with two out for Marquecas. Um, bef- you know, immediately and correctly, the Dodgers go to a left-handed reliever in Gonzalez. So during that commercial break, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm, we're all sitting there thinking, all right, so Mark Higgins against the lefty. And I think you said it, I think you were the one that said it, that I, that I quote tweeted about this being the biggest, the biggest at bat in 20 years of the, of the Braves. And it's Mark <laughs> It was kind of a perfect storm there, but, um, somewhere along the way, Snit decides to pinch hit for Mark Higgins. Um, that is one decision is to have him hit or not. That's one decision. And then decision one B is who do you hit between Culberson and Tyler Flowers? Because Tyler Flowers is a better hitter than Charlie Culberson. And he's been on the team and actually has experience in the recent past. But he's also your only second catcher. There are dynamics beyond that, etc. So um, A, do you let Marquecas face the lefty if it's you? And B, if you don't, would you have gone to Culverson or Flowers in that spot? And I can see I can see all sides of this one, frankly. 
Yeah, I mean, again, I was a little surprised that they took Marquecas down. I didn't hate it. I think what I hated was, and again, I know the Duval injury was not predictable, but you you do see a little bit of the shortcomings on the bench right now. Oh, yeah. Because more, more than a little, I will say. Yeah, it is. And again, it, and we don't want to beat this dead horse from two years ago. But again, the real difference, as we've seen, is is the depth is just for as good as the Braves lineup and, and frontline starting pitching and bullpen is, the Dodgers just have a little more depth. And we and that was evident tonight because you want to talk about Pablo Sandoval getting a big at bat. Uh, Charlie Culberson was DFA'd <laughs> like a month ago. and Charlie Culberson had not gone to the plate since August 21st. Wow. August yeah. 21st was his last plate appearance. And we're, we're kind of joking, but I'm now serious. That was the biggest plate appearance for the Atlanta Braves in almost two decades. Maybe maybe two maybe more than two decades if you want to yeah. get if you want. so that's in that's insane to think about number one <laughs> but it really is it, it it just becomes crazy and again I personally had no it, once once everything else happens so once the pot once the Santa Ball thing happens once they put in the lefty I have no problem and I tweeted this I have no problem going to Culberson in that spot but the fact that you have to go to Culberson is a a massive indictment of Marcakis because you're going to a guy who has not hit in a month and a half. B, it's an indictment of your bench. And C, it's also like, it's kind of an indictment of the previous move. I know you can't anticipate Sandoval getting hit by a pitch, but he could have walked and like, you know what's going to happen in that spot with Marquecas. So, I don't know, process-wise, it drives me crazy. And obviously people know this by now that Culberson did not succeed in that spot. (laughs) I was not upset. I'll say it again. I I was not bothered by them going to Culberson there because... Honestly, if you look at the situation, Marcakis, there's no argument that Marcakis is like a good option in that spot against a lefty. Like he's just he's just not. Like could could he have come through? Sure he could have. Like there's, there's no there's no argument that he that he couldn't have. And honestly, the gap between Marcakis and Culberson with all the unknowns there may not be very big. It wasn't a no-brainer to hit for him just because of how bad the options were, but the fact that there are no options, like honestly, it should be a no-brainer there with the DH especially in place to have Marquecas not hitting in that spot. Bases loaded, two outs, and a playoff game late, you should not have to even think about it. It should be an auto-pinch hit. And the fact that it wasn't is not a great situation for the roster. Well, and generally, as as we've learned this year, that that situation really hasn't presented itself a ton because of what you just said, because of the DH. Um, Again, in the grand scheme, it, it ended up working out okay, but... At that point, after the eighth inning, I mean, I'll say it. <laughs> I was saying to myself, man, this feels like game four of last year's NLDS where the Braves had a million runners on base, could not play to anyone. And at some point, it really did feel like inevitably the Dodgers were going to get a little bloop single somewhere and then a 400-foot home run. And it was going to be the same old Braves, right? Same old, can't get a hit, can't get the big hit. Thank goodness it didn't happen because it would have been a really, really frustrating game to lose at that point. After after Culverson made the out, they were 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position to that point with 10 runners left on base in a 1-1 NLCS game. I mean, that's the stuff you you dread for years, right? We would be still talking about this game in years if they lose this one after all their opportunities that they didn't take advantage of. So, again, thank God the, the top of the ninth <laughs> inning happened because yeah. I would have been in a <laughs> a, a pretty bad mood if, if they were to let this one get away tonight. Yeah, so we'll we'll move on, I promise. But last thing, process-wise, I'll, I'll just say this in advance of Game 2. 
and in sort of in sort of in defense of Snicker, um, we both said it, but I'll say it one more time. Obviously, you could not have envisioned Duvall going down in the second inning in this game, which throws everything into chaos. So there, there's a there's a little bit of a defense there, uh, and Pache they don't like his bat, all that all that stuff. But um, it makes no sense whatsoever to start Marquez tomorrow against a left-handed pitcher, given the way they treated him tonight. Yeah. If they if they thought he was bad enough against a lefty to put in Charlie Culberson for the highest leverage plate appearances of the game, you cannot turn around and start Marquez against Clayton Kershaw tomorrow. That makes no sense mm-hmm. at all. But it's gonna happen. I, I will tell you that right now. I'm guessing yeah. that was gonna I'm guessing it's gonna happen. But uh, that does not make any uh, logical sense in my mind either way. I'm not I'm not telling you that they have to bench Marquez, but those two things, pinch hitting for him tonight and then starting him tomorrow, are not um, on the same page. That's all I'll yeah. say. <laughs> so let's talk about tomorrow real quick. So we have let's do it now before we go to the ninth inning. Yeah, that's good. Idea. Yeah, yeah. So I I mean my guess I'm thinking about this now, but my guess is that we see Pache in center. And Acuna and Marquecas in the corners would be my guess. I, I would I would agree with that as a guess. Uh, the uh, there are basically two other options we could get into real quickly. Uh, option one is that, and by the way, this is this is a caveat. Now this is before game one. This was said, but Snit said on the record that Darno was going to catch every game in the series before game mm-hmm. one. So he did say that, but that was before the Duvall injury. Keep that in mind. And by the way, we're going to assume Duvall's gone. For this for this conversation, I hope he's not. But I would be stunned. We'll assume yeah. that he's not available at least for tomorrow. Um, so one option would be Ozuna in a corner with either Flowers DHing or Darno DHing, and and the other one catching. The other one would be uh, one that we kind of saw tonight. You could put Sandoval at third and put Riley in left. Mm. And I kind of thought about that. Yeah. That that's one that I want to make sure we mention because clear. I mean, <laughs> it's weird in that. Snit's hands were tied, but he knew when he hit Culberson, look, I'm doing this and I am going to, I'm about to have this inning with Riley and Culberson in my corners. He knew that going in. It wasn't the bottom of the ninth where they could have hit there and walked off. This is the top of the eighth. So Snit knew right then and there, he's, he has to be comfortable enough to play Riley and Culberson as his two core outfielders. And he did it for two innings. So all that to say, if they, if they want to play Sandoval against Kershaw, that's the thing about this. If it was a right-handed pitcher tomorrow, it would be Marquecas. We wouldn't even talk about it. But it's a yep. left. It's a lefty, so that helps Pache for sure, but it also makes Marquecas less valuable pretty clearly. So I'm assuming what you are assuming, and that they're, they're just going to go to Marquecas. He's the veteran. He's the safe choice. Yeah, he's not great against left-handed pitching, but he's had some mild success in a very small sample size against Kershaw, which I don't really care about, but they might care about that. Um I, I'm assuming it's Marcakis, but do you like any of, any of the other options better? I know they mm. don't want to play Ozuna in the outfield, and yeah. especially because this is a cavernous ballpark. It's a Huge. really it's a really bad spot to play Ozuna. The only thing that I'll say about that is, if you were ever going to design a situation to play Ozuna in the outfield, it's with Pache in center and Ronnie in right. <laughs> so you could you could basically pay, play Pache in left center field all yeah. night long, but. I, I, I do understand why they wouldn't want to do that in this ballpark, especially. So uh, do you have a preference, even if we both acknowledge this probably Marquecas? So I was curious. I just looked up Pablo Sandoval's career numbers, and he is really pretty good. I know he's he's been around for a long time, but his career WRC plus against lefties is 81. And Not he's great. a switch hitter. Not good. So against righties, it's 121. So um, I was curious. Obviously, we're not very familiar with Pablo. Well, he was also brought in to be the left-handed. Like, he was brought in to be because honestly, this team on paper needed 
a guy to hit righties. <laughs> yeah. And that's, yep. that's why they wanted him, I think. But uh, yep. not anymore, maybe. Yeah. So I guess to, to answer your question, if, if his splits were reversed, I would probably say maybe they give Pablo a chance. Maybe they do. I, I think it just depends on how much they trust Pache in a gigantic NLCS situation. I know they clearly trust his glove and his I mean, defense. I just, don't know about it at the plate. You got it. You got Honestly, I think playing Pache is an absolute no brainer. Play Pache, hit him ninth. If yep. he doesn't hit, that's fine. I mean, you obviously want him to, but especially against the lefty, it should be an absolute no-brainer to play Pache tomorrow. That, I, yep. that, the only way they can make me actually angry is to not play Pache tomorrow, somehow. You know what I mean? I like, if they go out there with Acuna, Marcakis, and, like, Riley in a corner and Sandoval, I'll be yeah. furious. Like, well, you, you, I would not you, ha- you have to play Pache tomorrow. Especially I, when... And if Riley was playing left field regularly this year, I think you maybe entertain it, but... I mean, it's pretty much been the same three guys for two months now. Yeah. I would be surprised. I think it's just so much easier just to play Pache. As you said, bat him ninth. There's nothing to say that he, he can't be an offensive contributor. He drew two walks tonight. He's which a ta- is I mean, he's, than... he still has huge talent. Yeah. They're, they're just treating him like he's not a great hitter, but obviously he is a talented guy. He can, he right. can, he can do some damage for you potentially. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, outside of the ninth inning, the lineup was not terrific tonight. So I, I think... I think you can hide him ninth, right? If you if you bat him ninth, you just hope that. I mean, tonight, of course, the big situations kept finding Nick Markakis. You hope that tomorrow Pache is not in a situation where bases are loaded, two outs in the eighth inning. But I, I do think he will be the guy, just for the many reasons we've laid out. Yeah, so we'll we'll see what happens there. Uh, last thing before we go back to the ninth inning and do some celebrating at the end of the podcast and on a high note. Um, what would you do with the roster spot if Duvall is if they if they know Duvall is gone for the season essentially? Um, if you make that decision now, where do you go? Like the the options are essentially you can go with another, with another pitcher if you wanted to add more depth, which they may not need, and they don't have a great option for that. There aren't a lot of guys that are not already on the team that they would trust. I don't think. Also, you have Ender Enciarte, you have Johan Camargo. Those would be the two very obvious names if they were to go with another position player both of which have pluses and minuses. Um, one of the minuses with Ender would be maybe that he want, that, that Snit would play him. <laughs> uh, and then Camargo has been gone for a while. I mean, they have Hetch, I guess, in theory as well. Um, I don't know what I would do. I think I would probably go Camargo just for the versatility there. And if you want to hit him, I'd rather see him pinch hitting than Ender. And honestly, I am I'm kind of joking, but I'm kind of not. I have fear that if... Ender is available to Snit. Snit will put him in the game. I think so too. Boy, I was just looking at the options. None of them are. They're great. ugly. We'll they're, say they're, that. I mean, third catcher um, might be might be one too. Like that's honestly yeah. my, maybe my, maybe my favorite one that I didn't even mention because I'm bad at this um, is Contreras. If they went to Contreras, that would at least free them up to. You know, this is so stupid, but Snit just will never hit a catcher unless he has to. Um, but if you have three, you could hit Contreras, you could hit Flowers, and maybe Snit, Snit will be more aggressive through that prism. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, again, you, you have so few. Uh, it's not great. I guess if, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I guess if I'm, I would guess Ender would probably be who I would pick because well, d- defense too like he, he yeah, yeah. like you 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 never get a situation like tonight if you have ender not ender's not as good as he used to be he's not even good anymore but he's he's probably an average defender um and at least if something happened to pache or ronnie you wouldn't be just completely sol yeah. like if you had ender on the roster that would be the argument to have him because duvall um 
would have been your emergency center fielder if something happened to both Pache and Ronnie. Um, now that guy's off the team. So I don't know. I think I would go with probably Ender. And just honestly, if you're Anthopolis, you say, Snit, like you just not allowed, you're not allowed to start him. Like I'm your yeah. boss. You mm-hmm. can't start him, but here's, here's, here's a guy you can use late in the game if you want to. Yeah, I think you have to. Camargo is is mildly interesting, but then again, you have to He's put been Riley. So bad. Yeah, like, and I don't think the Braves trust. I mean, honestly, let me ask you this: If the season was on the line, bases loaded, tie game, ninth inning, game seven, and whoever's up in the on the on deck circle pulls a hammy or whatever, okay. would you rather have Johan Camargo up there, or would you rather have Ender and Ciarte up there? Camargo. Hmm. I mean, yeah. but, but that doesn't mean anything. You know what I mean? Like, sure, it's, sure. it's two bad options. Like there's all kinds of disaster stories in my head where it's like, where your options are well, basically, okay, here it's almost a better one than we're sort of in the rabbit hole, but that's fine. Um, it, a more interesting one might be like, if your options are Mark Tickets against the lefty or Camargo, that's one to put on there. Cause we saw that tonight. Like they clearly have deep down in the recesses of Stitt's mind. He clearly does not love Mark Tickets against, against lefties. Because he pitched yeah. it for him with with Charlie Culberson tonight. That sure. happened. Yeah. We, Huge we, spot. We, we just watched that happen again. The highest leverage spot in twenty years, and it was Charlie Culberson pinch hitting for a guy who started for you all year. Um. So I don't know. It's it's none of this none of this stuff is good. And honestly, just at the plate, I don't know. I kind of like the uh, Contreras option more and more as I'm thinking about it now, only because of how Snit manages. And I think that if you have Contreras. You can either hit him, and he's probably a better hitter than a couple of these guys are, or yeah. or you allow yourself to hit Flowers. And I definitely would rather have Flowers at the plate than Camargo or or Marquez or Marquez against lefty or Culberson. So I might do that just to play to my manager and just say, you know what, Snit, you don't need you know you have this deep bench. You're probably not only going to need these guys to hit once and do nothing else. Here's a third catcher. Now you can hit. Now you can hit flowers, which is kind of silly, but it's also just reality. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess you can also play by if one of the other outfielders gets hurt, the Braves are completely screwed, and it might not matter anymore. Well, anyways, yeah, I, so. I mean, kind of. But you also have, you know, to their credit, you have someone like Riley. You have someone like like Culberson who can fake it in the outfield. You have yeah. some versatility in a way that we saw tonight. I mean, honestly, they ended this game with two infielders playing the outfield. That happened. Fair point. Yeah, fair point. <laughs> happened no, in game I, one. I, mean, I guess uh, my guess, my prediction, I, I think I, I can get behind the third catcher thing. I can. I can get behind the Camargo thing because he's probably a nose better than Ender at this point. Though, again, you do not want either of them hitting under any real situation. You, you do not, yes. Um, but I'm guessing just because you know how big that park is, Ender, even if he's not going to hit yeah. anything you can at least hand him his glove and say, go catch everything or try to catch everything that's hit in the air. And you feel, I mean, yeah, he, he's not as good as he used to be, but he is, it, you know, it's not a, you're not asking Pablo Sandoval to cover left field. That's a funny image. Uh, and there, there were some Braves fans that are not diehards that I follow for other reasons. They're my friends or uh, people that uh, cover other sports in Atlanta or something like that are watching the game. And they're like, they did, they're like, wait, Pablo Sandoval's on the Braves. And it's like, mm-hmm. yes. And then you, you see him pop out of the dugout and he's a, not a, not a, not a, not a, not a svelte man, Scott. Uh, he's not not an athlete, not a, not not an athlete necessarily. Um, Big boy. It's just a very very funny image to see him yeah. coming out of the dugout. But yeah, I, I'm with you. I I mean, if I have if I have to guess, I certainly would guess they go to Ender. 
that would be my actual guess of what's going to happen if Duvall is unavailable, um, because they trust the veteran presence. I know Snit believes in Ender almost to his detriment. So that's a guy who they would use. And he does have some utility as much as we joke about it. Um, he could have some utility as the last guy on the bench. So hopefully it won't matter. Hopefully Adam Duvall will wake up on Tuesday and be healed. And we'll not have yeah. this problem anymore. Well, or hopefully there's just not another eighth inning situation presented. And- yeah. As crazy as this one. I mean, as much as crazy as it was, it was kind of a perfect storm and it could happen again. That's the thing about having the bottom of this order be kind of a mess as it is. Um, is that if they don't love the options, they could get aggressive. And again, Snit, it didn't pay off for him. But I, honestly, I think I like aggressive Snit more than passive Snit in a vacuum. I didn't yeah. love what he did in the eighth tonight, but I would rather that than him like managing like a regular season game, which he's done, which, which he's done sometimes in the past. I think the light bulb has come on a little bit. I'm knocking on wood right now because I'm hoping I'm hoping I'm right here. But so far in the playoffs, he's kind of managed like a playoff manager. A yeah. lot more than he has in the past in the playoffs. So I don't know if there was a talking to somewhere along the way, but I'm I'm liking the general approach more. So I'm hoping it continues. Yeah, me too. He's been fine this playoff so far. Again, um, we, we talked in the preview podcast that Dave Roberts is known to make some, we'll call it questionable decisions, yes. right? And and we saw a little bit of that tonight. And um, yes, for the for the what are we on game six now of the playoffs that we've seen. Snicker has been fine. He's made the right decision. He's had a couple of chances to make an impact on the game. And, and so far he's pushed all the right buttons and that's ultimately what you want. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Let's celebrate real quickly the ninth inning. Um, since we did that little detour and that was a uh, very on brand for us. Uh, okay. So the, the swing of the night was the Austin Riley bomb. Uh, and Riley hits, uh, 109.8 mile, mile an hour, shot it was 448 feet by Statcast, which is an absolute moonshot um riley was four of 20 with no extra base hits in the playoffs before that and two of those hits were like broken bat like dinky singles like he had been really bad in the playoffs like his numbers were bad and he was probably worse than numbers even and to see him square one up i know i teased it earlier on but he had the one that he barely missed early in the game but that yeah. one is a reminder that Austin Riley has uh, serious power. We saw it in that spot, and that ended up being a game winner, obviously. Yeah, I mean, he got every bit of it. He had an awesome uh, – he watched it. He, he, I mean, you hit a ball 450 feet to left center in that spot. You can stand there and do whatever you want. And uh, he had a great quote in the postgame. Uh, he said he could not feel his legs running around the bases. And, uh, you know, good for Austin. As you said, he's been okay in the playoffs. Has not driven the ball like you'd like to see, but – by all means, the biggest swing and, and result of his young career. And um, again, it's just kind of what we talked about all year. Even if the top of the order isn't having a great game, and at that point they had not, the depth in this lineup is so good. And for him to uh, take, it was not a horrible pitch. It was, I mean, no. obviously it was one that it was a fastball that kind of came right back into his bat path and, and he crushed it. But um, yeah, man, what a swing. He absolutely crushed that ball. And uh, the dugout went nuts. It seems like there was also a fair number of Braves fans in attendance in oh, yeah. uh, Arlington tonight, which was fun. It was, I think it did add some life. It was nice to have people in the stands, whether or not you agree with the uh, decision to have them in a, <laughs> in a, in a, what they're referring to as a bubble. Yeah, That's the, um, that's the thing that gets me like, just don't call it a bubble anymore. It's not a bubble. Just stop. But yeah. alas, it's a way to limit travel. It's pretty much what it is. Yes. Um, but, but again, it was, it was the biggest swing for the Atlanta Braves and, I don't even know many years, and uh, it was just kind of the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, that was a fun one. Uh, again, ended up being the game winner. But 
uh, I will say this. No one would have been comfortable at 2-1 in the ninth. No one uh, on the no planet. Uh, so from there, they added, they added some insurance. Acuna doubles. Um, then a sack fly from Freddie Freeman that was absolutely mashed, by the way. Another one of these. Uh, Freddie hit the ball 405 feet with a 710 expected batting average, and it was a sack fly. <laughs> that ball is out of a lot of ballparks, uh, yep. and it would have been 4-1 at that point. Um, fortunately, uh, it didn't matter too much, obviously, because then moments later, Ozuna adds on with a flare to right to go up 3-1. So at that point, we're feeling a little bit better. But, uh, man, that Freeman, that Freeman shot probably should have been out of there for his second home run of the night. Yeah. Yeah, that ball just kept carrying. And Bellinger kind of stopped and then just kept going a step deeper and a step deeper. And it was like, oh, we got it. And then, of course, it fell just a few feet short. And he did hit the ball really high, I will say. So maybe it yes. got knocked down a bit. But, man, yeah, that's in that situation, as you said, nobody felt good about 2-1. to one. And, honestly, I think even 3-1 was not – ideal and shout outs to Marcelo Zuna I'm jumping ahead but he obviously added on a very important insurance run there to make it three to one but man I thought Freddie got it uh, the good sign is for the Braves while Freddie was not bad in the in the wild card and NLDS he was not the Freddie Freeman that we've seen all year so the fact that he launched a first inning home run and then nearly hit another one in the ninth is a very good sign moving forward yeah, and then uh, to your point earlier about Dave Roberts, he somehow gets a left-hander out there against Ozzy Albies, which is... Uh, uh, I don't hate it. That, that's, yeah. a, that, that's a choice you can make, because Ozzy Albies uh, is awesome on one side of the plate and not so awesome on the other, and uh, he pitched him on the off, on the awesome part. And he unloaded on one, um, 420 feet to go up 5-1. to one. That was the one that made me, I will be honest, that, that's the one that actually made me feel like they were going to win the game. Not that they were, <laughs> they were obviously favored at 3-1, but 5-1 and 3-1 are very different things. Uh, Absolutely. So that was the one that gave me sort of a little bit of a sigh of relief. My guard is always up, but uh, it was one of those where I was like, all right, they're probably going to win this one. That's good. Um, yeah. And also, how about Mark Belanson catching the home run ball while warming up at the bullpen? Did you see that? Awesome. Yes, <laughs> truly. Like, how great is that? It would be like the most Atlanta Braves thing ever for him, like, not to realize it and he get hit, hit in the head, head yeah. or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when he when they showed it, I was like, wait, what? And then I looked at it again on on uh, replay. I was like, man, that, that's uh, kind of a fitting way to end uh, what was an awesome ninth inning again. Um, I'm I'm not entirely sure why they brought in a lefty to face a handful of right-handed batters. It wasn't like Ozzy was the only righty in that, in that spot. There was a lot of right-handed batters there. And I know he's a switch hitter, but man, anytime a manager voluntarily gives Ozzy Albies the chance to hit right-handed instead of left, I will happily take it. Yeah, that was not great by the Dodgers. It, you know, low, uh, low and uh, low, uh, low thing in terms of priority in terms of the swing of the series, but cause they're already down two runs at that point, but that was a, a bad miss. I think, by the Dodgers. Okay, in the bottom half, Mark Melanson uh, goes quietly in a beautiful way. One, two, three, including a nice uh, zip line throw from Sandoval at third base, looking like a cat out there, just making plays. Spry as a cat. He's uh, he's sneaky fast, as the uh, NFL scouts would say. Some sneaky real uh, some real Troy Gloss vibes there at third. People were Ooh. talking about that. Uh, no, I mean Sandoval is the third baseman by trade. I don't think you want him out there very much, but he had to play there and it was, uh, it, it didn't get you burned. That was, uh, I'm, I'm not joking. That was actually a nice throw. <laughs> it yeah. was, uh, I mean, it was, it was, it was a rocket. And I knew when he, when he threw it, I, <laughs> you do the lean in from your couch Whoa. to the TV. And I was like, Oh no. Like again, it's, it's just the recency bias thing in our heads of here we go. It's going to be a ball. I will like, say, don't find Sandoval, please Lord on yeah. the, uh, right. And of course, 
I mean, the, the the baseball rule number one is you come into the game and the ball finds you, right? That's yep. true from the time you're seven years old to game one of the NLCS. I will say the Braves uh, caught a little bit of a break. At, I believe the first batter of the inning was Max Muncy, and he chopped the ball over the mound, and it missed bouncing off second base by maybe three oh, inches. I, I didn't even notice that. Really close. I didn't even notice that. I remember when I watched it live, that thought crossed my mind. I have not gone back to, I guess, really look at how close it was, but it was close. I think even Dansby kind of, if you watch it back, he even flinches a little bit. I think he was almost awaiting it to change directions a bit. So, again, you talk about little tiny things that can help you win a series. If that ball was a couple inches one way or the other, it, it I mean, we've all seen it. It ricochets off the base, and all of a sudden the wheels are off. Um, but it, it went right to Dansby, and no harm, no foul. Yeah, they had him shifted, which was nice because uh, so it seemed like a very harmless play. But uh, I have to go back and watch that again because that would have been scary. Had I noticed it, but but I didn't. So there you go. And obviously that that's the game there at five one. They get the victory. The Braves swing all kinds of odds in their favor in the series. Uh, looking ahead real quickly, as we, we talked about the lineup stuff ad nauseum earlier, so we won't do any more of that. But as a reminder here, it's Clayton Kershaw against Ian Anderson, and uh, this is the first time in the playoffs the Braves have faced a left hand starting pitcher. So there's less. Uh, well, there's almost more options, but man, it's unfortunate the timing because this is the time where you really want Adam Duvall in the lineup <laughs> as it gets a lefty. Uh, so that's yeah. that, that's that's not great. But yeah, the first time there was some legitimate intrigue because you know, I think Snicker would have been content using the same nine guys every day until the until the end of time as long as there yeah. wasn't a left-handed pitcher on the mound. And now there now there is, so we'll see what happens in that spot. I mean, what do you make of this? Obviously, Kershaw is a is a Hall of Fame guy. Anderson is. Uh, has like you know single digit starts in his career, but you know Anderson's been pitching great, so you you have to feel better th- about that than you might think you'd feel. Yeah, I mean, no pressure, kid. Go out and get him. It's going to be like the ninth start of Ian Anderson's professional career, and he's going to go up against probably the best pitcher in the last you know twenty years or so, best pitcher on the planet, I guess career wise since maybe Pedro Martinez retired. So. <laughs> Go out there. Hopefully the Braves can get playoff Clayton Kershaw. Kershaw has gotten better in recent years in the postseason. It was more of an early thing for him. Um, he's looked very good in the two games he's made so far. And then Ian Anderson, again, just like Freed, he's going to need to be on it. This is a much, much better lineup than the Reds and the Marlins. But um, he's been great. Nothing has seemed to phase him so far. You hope that he can at least get the ball to the bullpen with the Braves in a good spot. And um, just like tonight, we, we have not talked about, but getting – uh, Walker Buehler out after five plus was really good. I think you just generally will take your chances, even if the Dodgers bullpen is really good and seems like everybody throws a hundred. Um, you will take getting the starting pitcher out whenever you can, especially when you don't have days off to rest the bullpen. So no pressure kid, go out there and get them, try to get a two Oh series lead. Uh, the good news is winning tonight. You, you do have a little bit of, of leeway and you want to go up two Oh, but if you have a bad night, uh, it's not the end of the world by any means. Being 1-1 in a series is a whole lot better than being down 0-2. Yeah. And, you know, by the models and the, and the betting markets, the Braves are underdogs again tomorrow. Um, that's not a huge surprise, but it's Kershaw on the Dodgers against the Anderson. That just on paper does not look like it's a favorite to the Braves. But I think it's pretty close to a toss-up. Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, if Goodian shows up, then you feel great. And uh, they're a live underdog tomorrow, to be sure. Um not all of the models are out yet, but the Braves are now like coin flips for better to, to win the series. And the ones that I've seen, I think Fangraphs had the Braves 55% to win the series, which isn't a lot at one nothing, but it just tells you how good the Dodgers are. But still, um, that's a lot different than where, where we were a day ago. 
in terms of the numbers and all the projections. And that doesn't mean anything. You have to go out and win games. But uh, just to keeping uh, sort of stay on brand with our, uh, our <laughs> talking about numbers and all that stuff. There you go for that. Also, last thing here, the games are 6.05 the next two days, Eastern time, which is not optimal for you, I don't think. Um, it's interesting for Braves fans. I was surprised by that. We, I could probably do 20 minutes on the uh, media fallout of this, but just so people know, 6.05 is the start for Game 2 and Game 3. Um, if you don't like to stay up late, that's probably good for you. If you uh, work late or live where Scott lives, not ideal, but there you go. Yeah, Um the good news for you, Brad, is uh, there's no what time? It's twelve forty in the morning. It's twelve forty right now, right now and, a... and which means uh, as soon as the podcast goes up, I have to edit it, write the post, format it, put it on the thing. So yeah, there's no way I'm in bed before two. No, no chance. No. You're you're the you're a pros pro, right? That's what you do. But the game time tomorrow six oh five, a little odd. I was surprised too, but with a little weird. bit of luck, it'll be over by nine nine thirty. Uh, tonight's game was a brisk three hours and 20 minutes generally Which isn't, of course honestly that bad yeah, no. <laughs> for a playoff game yeah, for, for what playoff games can be with all the changes maybe the maybe finally we will see the i know the game times were not shortened really at all this during the regular season but because there is the three better minimum maybe that will help move the postseason games on a little bit but um yeah fox sports one tomorrow 605 should be another uh get a good night rest because uh, we're right back at it. And that's the best part about baseball, right? Game's over. You're less than 24 hours away. So it'll be a real challenge. Yeah. We will hear from Eric Cole, friend of the program, co-host of the program in the next couple of days, a little bit, because, uh, I wasn't going to make Eric stay up till one in the morning. Um, unless he has to, but I know, I know he's on coverage tomorrow. We'll give Scott yeah. a day off at some point here. Uh, and, uh, it'll be me, but alas, here we are. Hopefully, this will not be too crazy, and uh, it, it was making me insane that they had not, they had not announced the schedule. I'm, I'm not really sure what they're waiting on still, where they only announced through Wednesday, but uh, at least we know when the games are the next couple of days, and 6.05 is sort of a happy medium for everyone. Scott can usually, I'm assuming you could watch most of it when you get home. I'm off this week. Oh, yeah, you're by, off this week. By random luck. I don't feel I'm bad for you all at all. You're it's fine. Good. This is great. Well, and today it was kind of, so it's funny, I, I complain about the super, I mean, I did not love the 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. starts, but <laughs> Then today, the game doesn't start till 8 Eastern, 5 West Coast time. And it's like, man, I kind of wish they had it like a morning-afternoon game. I was kind of enjoying that, get it over with well, yeah, early. If, if you're off, if you're off, it's great. I, I will say that. If, if I had been off last week, I would have been in hog heaven. I would, I would have loved a, mid- a midday game. It's yeah. great. No, it, it's great timing. I'm, I'm sure that there are many West Coast uh, Dodger fans who are not thrilled about the 305 no. start. But, hey, you know, you deal with it, and it is what it is. But, yeah, it was, it was a surprise. It was a little... I don't know uh, what baseball is doing, honestly. And I know it's getting late. And I don't want to keep you up. You said we could talk another 20 minutes. No, on it's it. okay. I really think um, my idea, this is we're off the rails, but I think the only thing that I can come up with and talking about some talking people that know this stuff, like, like Joe Lucia, who does, who runs awful announcing all that stuff. Um, I think it's a combination of uh, they wanted to not go four and eight again and do want to do a little bit of overlap. There's also, there's also an NFL game tomorrow. At seven, which is bizarre on a Tuesday, but there is, there's the NFL game on two at, at seven o'clock, and I think they wanted to throw the later series a bone. It's also in California, so live in person. They may not they may not want to have that game at one o'clock every day. Um, so it's a combination of all those things, and I think this is what I, what I think the actual thing comes down to is that this situation gives them a chance to showcase Braves Dodgers at six in a window that's fairly friendly on the East coast. And then they hope that it's a good game, but people that are not up too late can flip over to the other game when it's true. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's my idea for what they're trying to do. It's still very strange. And I looked back at a lot of the data in the last couple of days trying to figure out when, when these games were going to be. And it was a lot of like four o'clock, eight o'clock starts. So there was not a lot of precedent for games like truly overlapping because it, it yeah. would be a big surprise if the NLCS is ever over before the other game starts. And that's just kind of an interesting play. Can, I mean, this goes without saying, but I can't imagine another sport doing that. Like, there's no way, like, for, forget the NFL, which is, would never do this, but even the, even the NBA, like, there's no way they would stagger their final four games where they're overlapping. There's just no way that would ever happen. Yeah. So, it's just crazy to me, but alas, here we are. Here we are. Another night. 6.05. Late tuned, night folks. for you, but not not as late, which I'm sure will get you some sleep. Like I said, pro's pro. I'm feeling this fine. We're good. Feeling We're good. good. Coffee was warm. It was, you know. It's a win. Out. It's hey. a win. Listen, th- these are a lot less well, fun when they yeah. lose, uh, which we, we did some last last year when they lost and the year before they lost. Um, so the late game, this might, be, this might be the latest game of the entire week, and it was a win. So congratulations to all of us. Scott, if you have anything going, please share it. And we, we might have some new listeners this time of year considering it's the NLCS. I'm hoping people are listening and telling their friends. We might, we might have some new people listening tonight. If so, my apologies for all the rants. But, Scott, <laughs> if you have anything to plug, please go ahead and do that now. This is what we do, right? It's a lot more fun when you can celebrate a win. First uh, first NLCS win in a long, long time for the Braves, and for them to do it in the ninth inning the way they did was pretty awesome. So, uh, yeah, thanks to everybody for listening. Like Brad said, tell a friend, download, subscribe. Uh, we'll be back here less than 24 hours from now, so get ready. Yep. Please subscribe, tell your friends, tell your enemies, uh, leave five-star feedback if you enjoy the podcast as well. You can even subscribe on multiple platforms and download on multiple platforms if you want to help us out, help our advertisers out. That's always appreciated as well. We will be here after every single game, including tomorrow after game two, so stay tuned for all of that. We'll see you next time. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.